Psalm 51, starting in verse 6, if you'd like to follow along. Again, Psalm number 51, starting in verse 6. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will return back to you. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I pray as prepare to share your word that you, Father, will lead my words, my thoughts, and my mind with your Holy Spirit. That, Father, this morning, I represent you and your thoughts, your desires to this group of people whom I love and whom you love. Father, please watch over our conversation this morning. Allow us to sit at your feet and learn. And then go from this place and apply and share. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Based upon the scripture I just shared with you, Matthew Henry's commentary says the following. The psalmist prays for mercy, humbly confessing, and lamenting his sins, verses 1 through 6 of this psalm. And then he says he pleads for pardon, that he may promote the glory of God and have the conversations with, of, of sinners, verses 7 through 15. And then it says this, God is pleased with a contrite heart. You see, a pure heart is the starting point of a solid relationship with God and the ability to do God's work God's way. It's, it's from the launching pad of purity, a deepness of heart that's real to you teenagers is the word I hear used more often, right? Keep it real. It's the foundation of of a real faith, a pure faith, a hundred percent faith and all in faith. That we connect with God and that we do God's work and that we're able to understand God's way. See, authenticity is the product of a pure heart. Yeah, authenticity, being real, is the product of a pure heart. See, in your... Uh, some reflecting questions I've given to you in the back of the bulletin this week that I'd like you to take home and consider are these. There's four of them this morning. You know, in your own words, how would you describe having a pure heart? Why don't you sit and think about that for a minute and process that. 
In what ways are you sometimes inauthentic to others? Now, hopefully I'm going to introduce some thoughts about that this morning that you'll think a little bit about, especially woven into our way of life. Question three, think of a time when you confess sin to God or maybe to another person and describe and think about how you felt afterward. And then finally, what are some of the hurdles one has to clear to become spiritually healthy in the practice of confession? These four questions will kind of cover our discussion this morning. You see, authenticity, while it's a product of a pure heart, fear is the enemy of authenticity. See, what I believe this morning and what I'm going to suggest this morning is that it's fear that drives us away most often from being authentic is we fear being authentic. That's what Satan wants us to to do. He wants us to have fear of being real, because if he can get us to fear being real and he can get us to create a life of a lie, then who has us at that point? Satan has us when we're living a life that's a lie. Even when the lie makes us seem good. And we'll talk about that. So fear is the enemy of authenticity. Is your heart set up like a blender game? And here's what I mean. Have any of you ever heard of the blender game? You know, um, I was kind of sweating as Clark came to the stage because I knew from the first service he had a water balloon in the bag. And I knew he didn't want to break it the first service, but I was sitting in the front row and I was kind of nervous about the second service. And then when he handed it to Hannah, I got even more nervous. We play all kinds of games. And one of the games we've been known to play at camp is the blender game. And I used to play the blender game when I was a kid. My mom used to let us play it in the summertime. And and, and what happens is you take all different stuff that you can find and you put it in the blender and you blend it up and then you make somebody drink it. This is the blender game. Now, my mom, she was always careful with us. She had some rules for the blender game. First, everything you put in the blender had to be edible. Had to be edible, okay? The second rule was no dirt, no rocks, no metal objects. And, and you could not wet down someone's dirty socks and wring them into it. That, those were rules. You couldn't do that. I'm killing people here. Now, things like shaving cream kind of depended on her mood. Sometimes they were fair game and sometimes they weren't. They were gray areas. Can you imagine how that tastes? Can you imagine how that tastes? Can you imagine being the one to drink it? I know one of our teen weeks, my my middle son came home and he was he was a little off color. And I was like, what's going on? He said, Jeff took a Happy Meal and some water and blended it together. And I got to drink it. Okay, that's probably not a good promotion for Jeff's Sunday night with Uncle Jeff, but these are the crazy things that kids do. I want you to think about the blender game in regard to life. And I want to ask you something about our spiritual blender. What happens when you uh, you come to Bible class and you grab an hour? And then you walk into the world and you grab 23 and you put it in the blender and mix it up. What's the product you get? You know, what's the product you get when when you have 20 minutes of a sermon each week and you pop that into the blender, but then you go out and you grab 
a hundred hours of TV or Internet access or cell phone use or Snapchat or whatever chat you want to use and you throw it in the blender and you mix it up. What's the product of what you get? Is it a hundred percent God or is it maybe five percent God? Is your life kind of like the blender game? And if you blended your life up and handed it to God, how would it taste to it? This morning, I did an exercise in the teen class where I said, you know, I want you to imagine, I want you all to close your eyes and I want you to think about your last lie because we were kind of talking about authenticity. I said, I want you to think about your last lie, the very last lie that you did. Okay, and they all had this lie in their head. And I said, okay, I want everybody to now, I want you to tell me what the lie was. Everybody gets a get out of jail free card. Even my own kids were sitting in the room and I was kind of holding my breath, but I was going to give them... Give them a get-out-of-jail-free card. What was your last lie? And they all took a deep breath, and I knew they didn't want to say it. And I said, okay, here's the deal. You were going to lie about your lie, weren't you? And most of them, you guys said, be real here. They were all like, yeah, I probably was going to lie about my lie. But I said, here's what Tony accomplished. I'm dancing around in your head right now. Because you know there's a lie that you haven't told your parents or that you haven't told someone you love or someone you care about. It's something you're holding on to. And here's the thing. I'm in your head and I'm dancing around. And I'm having the time of my life. But God's right next to me. The sad part isn't that I'm in your head. The sad part is, is that God's in your head. In church this morning, I'm going to ask you the same question. And no, I'm not going to have you stand up and come forward when we sing. But I'm going to ask you, what right now is not 100% pure that's in your life that you need to get rid of, that you need to lay before God to be pure? Is your life kind of like the blender game? Or is your heart kind of like that purest ground beef that you can buy at the store? You know, the one that you patty up and you fry and there's no grease. And it's just 100% perfection. This kid right here, look at it. He's going, Dad, I want that. I want that. Because that's what we tend to like. We tend to like things that are 100% pure. Here was my mom's final rule of the blender game. Whatever was in that blender, everyone involved had to eat a spoonful. Just understand that what we blend up, God eats. And what you blend up, you may have to eat. So I want you to understand that what's in there is important. It's important to your spiritual life. Taeyun Kim says in his seven steps to inner power, when you express purity, which is the truth about yourself, okay, purity, which is the truth about yourself, you feel a love for yourself that is expressed by self-respect, self-esteem, and self-confidence. Your purity will drive your self-respect, your self-esteem, and your self-confidence. Church, that's when I read that quote, when I read that thought, that really hit home to me because when, when, we, when we spend time together, we learn, we do learn that that pure life, that person that's living 100% or as close to 100% pure life as they can, they are more self-confident. They have a higher self-esteem. We don't have to manufacture that when it's real. We don't have to try to find that in a lie. 
I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Because in, in Matthew 5, which is, is part of the Beatitudes that we've been focusing on, we focus on, on four Beatitudes. And it says, you know, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed is he who mourns. Today, it's, it's blessed who has a pure heart. But in, in, in Matthew 23, Jesus gives us some woes. And the woe is the opposite to the blessing. The woe is the warning that says, woe to this person. This is the person that's not going to enjoy that blessing. That's not going to find blessing. And I think one of those is particularly in, interested for the sake of time. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want you to jump down, if you would, to verses 25 and 26. Matthew 23, 25 and 26. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So in the process of cleaning up the inside, you will effectively clean the outside. Now, here's what I'm. This is why I say that is I think as Christians, we often struggle with focusing on the outside and we're not careful about what's dirty and what's messed up on the inside. And and here's the truth, brothers and sisters, we've said this over and over. It's the inside that's going to hurt you. Our God is an, an 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 internal God. He works from the inside out. It's like having it's like having a car. And a lot of teenagers this way, you see them all the time. They got the fanciest wheels and they're polished to the max. And the paint job is just as slick as it can be. And it's waxed and everything. But it's leaving a trail of oil as it drives down the road. You can hear it coming from a mile away. You know, they're not worried about the internal of the car. You can't see that as long as it looks good. This is where social media comes into the life of a Christian. I think we have to be careful. I saw this picture of this muscle bound man on a horse with a lightning rod. And, you know, the horse was actually a a wiener dog that he was riding on the back of. And it, it talked about how your life online, you make it look so good. But is it truly that way? Is the life you depict on Facebook Is it what the ride to church is really like? So like when we post, we had a wonderful day at church and everything was perfect. Was it really like that? Or did we fight and and argue with the kids and, and fuss all the way to church? And the minute we pull in the parking lot, smiles on our face, we get out of the car like we're the, the greatest family on the face of the earth, right? When the ride to church was living hell. We don't put that on Facebook. What the marriage, what, what's the marriage really like? I've got the greatest husband in the world. I've got the most wonderful wife in the world. Really? Because what I'll tell you is, that's a struggle we have. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I have sat with men who are in my office crying like babies because their marriage is falling apart. And I can go two days earlier in their Facebook page and they've been sending flowers and loving their wife like no other. But they weren't being real. They weren't being real with what was going on. What's our spiritual disciplines really like? 
I see people post these spiritual things all the time. And you'll sit down to ask them a question and they don't, they don't know the answer. They don't, they don't know how to navigate their Bible. It becomes obvious they don't spend a lot of time with God. What's it really like? Because this is authenticity. This is the pure heart that God's trying to tap into, church. And for that to happen, the truth has to be present. You know, what's, what's your extended family like? What are things going on in your extended family? Is, is it really like what we're depicting? What about your financial situation and your family's financial structure? You know, are you depicting what's really going on in your life? Or are you, are you, are you three bodies deep in debt? What's real? Because these are, these are the things that the pure heart demonstrates. You know, what is your true mental and physical health? Do you depict this, this life that you have it all together when yet internally, both mentally and physically, you're falling apart? Now, now you're going to ask, Tony, why do you say this? Why are you saying this? This is the worst sermon ever. I'm going to go home just feeling cruddy. It's because if you're going to come to this place and leave with something that's really useful for you in the week to come, built up and strong, ready to take on what Satan has to offer, in which, by the way, Satan wants to bring you down even further, then you've got to be real about where you're at when you walk in the door. And we have to welcome that realness as a church. That reality is our reality. And this has to be a safe place to lay that reality out and for us to spiritually do battle so that you can walk out of here stronger and more equipped. That's why God gave us this. is to celebrate Him and to lift each other and encourage each other. Jesus warns us not to be more worried about the outside of the cup than we are the inside. Brothers and sisters, if folks can't bring their dirty cups here for God to wash them, then Lord help us. God help us because there's nobody out there going to wash it. There's no one out there that's going to wash it. This has to be a place where that takes place. You see in Matthew 5, in verse 8, this is our final lesson of the first four Beatitudes for this series. And we'll probably come back to the latter ones maybe later in the year. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. And it doesn't say, for they will be godly or they will be like Jesus. or It says, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the, the word and term pure here from the Greek is about being authentic and not being hypocritical. This is the language direction it's written from. See, being pure in heart is a very intentional process. You're going to be intentional about being authentic, being truthful, being real about who you are. Because here's the truth, guys, and, and we gotta get, you know, we've got to work past this. We all know that everyone who walks through our door has these struggles in life. They struggle with extended family, with marriage, with finances, with all these things. We shouldn't be embarrassed to share that. 
Because if you're the, if you've been through it, then God has prepared you to help the person who's going through it. And if you're going through it, what I want you to hear today is God's preparing you to help the person that will go through it. Isn't that the way it works? It's like motherhood and fatherhood. Those of us who have been through it, we're now equipped to help those who are going through it. And if you're contemplating going through it, please look at us and decide different. That was a joke. Come on. You guys are killing me. Decisions mean everything. And obedience is demonstrated purity. Obedience is demonstrated in purity. So our purity is a demonstration of our obedience. And one thing I always say, guys, when I speak of purity is just understand Yes, purity can be broken and purity will be broken in your Christian walk. You won't always be 100% pure because we all know there is a Jesus and it's not you. It's not me. So the things that I'm talking about today, just understand they've been broken in my life and had to be fixed. I've gone astray from some of these things in my life and had to wander back to that point of foundation. And there is no shame in that. The shame is when you don't wander back. I want to leave you with three things um, that I believe uh, are key. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Step 1. We were talking, I was talking with the, the teens and teen class this morning about this, which, which by the way, guys, um, whatever, if you have a teenager, whatever you can do to get them here to class, to, to make the, let them be a part of that Bible growth. Again, they're going to get one hour of Bible, maybe two if they come to Wednesday night class or if they do something. And they're going to get how many hours of the world, how many hours of Internet and phone access and all these other things. And every time that we fail as parents to put our children in that learning environment, we're taking away. We're taking away from what they're putting in that blender of life. And I, so I, I, I plead with you, work diligently as families to get your kids to these Bible classes and these things that are offered. And then wouldn't, you know, the same breath, it wouldn't hurt you to be there. My encouraging commercial. First John 1 verse 9. This is where our journey back starts. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just as and, and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it starts at confession, guys. And, and, you know, confession, that sounds so icky. It sounds so ugly, but it's liberating. It's really liberating. You know, one of my questions, when's the last time you confess? You know, young people. How, how good does it feel when you're carrying something heavy and you finally get it off your chest? It's just gone. You don't have to worry about it anymore. I mean, you go to school worrying about it. You wake up worrying about it. It's this thing you've been carrying for a day or two days or weeks. And all of a sudden, you finally tell mom and dad and it's off your back. No more weight. It's gone. And adults, we experience the same thing. Confession begins the process of returning to a pure heart. Turn to Psalm 
24, and I'll give you I'll give you number two. Psalm 24. Listen to verses three and four. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. If we want to throw off the sin that entangles us, we confess it first. And the second thing we do is we wash our hands of it. We, we make ourselves clean of that. So it's not just a matter of saying, yeah, I'm guilty. It's a matter of believing with all your heart and getting rid of it. You know, we used to do an exercise where we would write it down on a card. We'd wad it up and we'd throw it in a fire to symbolize it's gone. It's burnt. It's gone forever. We wash our hands of it and those that have washed and cleansed hands, they become pure in heart and they connect to God. So you confess. And number two, you connect. And finally, number three, James 4 and verse 8. I'm going to turn you all the way back in your Bible to James 4 and verse 8. Number three is you come to God. You come to God. Number eight, come near to God. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double minded. You know, James reminds us, and he uses the term double minded there, I think it's so key. He's saying you get rid of the double part. You get your mind on one focus and one focus only. Church, this morning. And I want you to understand by talking about Facebook and social media and all these things, um, I'm not talking about you make a laundry line and, and you, you hang your drawers out in front of everybody. That's not what I'm talking about. But you can't fix something that you don't realize is broken. You can't fix something that you won't admit is broken. You will use it and you will use it and you will use it until it's not fixable. And that's the danger. When in reality, you've been given this blessing, the church. You've been given this blessing of a place where we can be encouraged and we can be lifted up and we can be thankful to God through all trials, anything that can hurt us. I, I ask you this morning because I know. I know there's hurt families. I know there's families who are struggling with life's issues. I know there's individuals who are struggling with physical health and mental health and all different kinds of things that Satan can throw at us. Don't sit by yourself and struggle through that alone. Certainly don't do it without God. Restore yourselves to a pure heart with cleansed hands and God will lift you up. He told us so. Let's stand and sing.